Welcome to Musically Speaking. I'm your host, Mark Conklin. I'm also the Director of Artist Relations and Programming at the Grammy Museum Experience Prudential Center in Newark, New Jersey, the East Coast home of the Grammy Museum. Each month, I have the honor of sitting down with some of the biggest names in music to discuss their artistry, creative process, and career journey. We're thrilled to be able to bring some of these conversations to you in this podcast. If you'd like more information on any of our public or education programs, please visit www.grammymuseumexp.org. In this episode, I had the great pleasure of speaking with the iconic New Jersey legend Dionne Warwick, who in addition to all of her musical accolades, has recently become the queen of Twitter and will soon be celebrated as part of Newark Arts' 20th Anniversary Arts Festival beginning October 6th and running through October 29th. I had a chance to talk with Miss Warwick about the exhibit, as well as her amazing career in this episode of Musically Speaking. Well, we're, we're thrilled to have you. Uh, you know, I'm, usually when I do these interviews, I'm always curious to ask people about what they've been doing in the, uh, during the pandemic, during the lockdown. But in your case, I actually have a sense of it. Uh, you became the queen of Twitter somehow uh, over the last <laughs> year and a half. Um, just tell us a little bit about how, how that came to be. I mean, I'm sure you were already on social media, but why you picked up and decided at this point that it would be a time to be more engaged and, and to be more active on it. Well, I got involved basically because of my nieces and nephews were having such a good time on their account, Twittering and using their little thumbs going crazy. And I wanted to know why they were having such a good time. <laughs> and my, <laughs> my niece, uh, Brittany, uh, she showed me what she was doing on Twitter. And I started, she started scrolling and showing me other people's comments and things of that nature. And some of that, what I was seeing was not too pleasing to my eye. Mm. You know, it was a lot of, you know, unkind things being said and bashing and just, just not nice stuff. And I said, oh, I don't know if I like you being on this kind of thing. And so I said, show me how to do it. She said, you want to know how to tweet? I said, yeah, I want to know how to do it, tweet. So she showed me and I became actively involved. Um, and I started thinking, you know, maybe these babies, because that's exactly what they are, children, um, need the presence of a grown-up. Maybe mm. somebody being on Twitter might change their attitude. So I started asking questions of them and I started getting responses from some of them. And the things that I was kind of giving them to think about was there was a way because I wasn't too pleased with some of the things they were doing. Do you really want to say those ugly things? Why can't you say some nice stuff to each other? You know, it might make a friend. Right. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot easier to smile and to frown. And if you smile a lot, you don't get wrinkles, you know. So I just I kind of tried to instill in them that there was another way to do what they were doing. And uh, Jack, the, the owner of Twitter, um, he called me and thanked me because eventually what was going on was that the tone was changing. Hmm. 
Hmm. He was fine with that because I let all these babies know, you know, you can do everything with a smile. You know, you don't have to be ugly and, and say things that you really shouldn't be saying or don't really mean. And uh, the responses I was getting from the kids was, yeah, you know, you're right. And I, it was it was wonderful, you know, and I did everything with a smile. Let them know they could laugh at me and with me. So uh, the tone of the, if you've noticed how the tone of Twitter has changed. Um, and just the presence of a, grand, a grown up, I think, had a lot to do with that. So I'm, I'm having a great time. I've made some new friends. I've uh, interfaced with um, some folks that I just felt nosy enough to want to know about. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and uh, have gotten reactions from them and responses from them. Um, I'm certain you're, you're aware of Chance the Rapper and, um, uh, uh, let's see, The Weeknd, um, which I, th- I thought was so funny. You know, how's he going to call himself The Weeknd without me? <laughs> 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 yeah, it just didn't make sense to me. And t- Taylor Swift and, you know, Cardi B, you know, people that, normally would not interface with Dion Warwick were doing that. They were asking me questions. They were responding to me. And I'm having the best time, I can tell you. And, and it's fun to see these babies laugh at, instead of frown. What surprised you about, you know, being on Twitter? Was there, good or bad, was there something that kind of, you know, you didn't expect to find um, that that has, you know, maybe your mind's changed a little bit about it? No, uh, no, I, I didn't like, as, as I said earlier, uh, what was going on before I became actively involved with Twitter. Um, I think the mere fact that I'm able to ask questions uh, that I'm, I want to know, and I let them know I'm nosy, yeah, I want to know, <laughs> and, uh, and I, I'm getting answers. Right. And I also let everybody know that, I, that I've been able to interface with that uh, I am learning as much from them as they, I hope, are learning from me. Mm. There was a, a billboard that um, that Twitter had put in Times Square that one of your tweets, please don't bring that foolishness into 2021. I'm curious, did did they bring the foolishness into 2021? What do you, what do you think? Yeah, unfortunately, a bit of the yeah. foolishness is is quite apparent you know i i I feel that um not enough people saw it you know or or aware that the billboard was even up but i i make sure that whenever i do a tweet or as i call it quote i make sure that they still understand you know hey i'm not too pleased you know, and they get the they get the gist of of my what I'm talking about, and uh, and it apparently starts to calm down again. Uh, you know, just those folks who are acting crazy these days apparently don't have um, a Twitter account. <laughs> They're not following <laughs> you on Twitter, I guess. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, it's amazing because now. Dionne Warwick, the queen of Twitter, is now the first ever, we think, possibly the first ever art exhibition inspired by one single Twitter account. And uh, the Newark Arts Festival 
will be hosting it. And we're proud at the Grammy Museum Experience to be sponsoring it along with Newark Arts and Audible. Uh, it's going to be at the Haynes Building in Newark from October 6th through the 29th. And we'll put a description uh, in the link so that if there's, you know, for folks listening, if you want to check out more information, obviously you'll be able to click through that. Um, it's kind of amazing. Were you, I mean, were you really surprised when they came to you and wanted to do this uh, this art exhibit? What did you think? Yeah, I said, well, why me? <laughs> you know, <laughs> but uh, I'm flattered, you know, and uh, truly pleased that I'm being thought of in this manner, you know, both by the Art Museum and Grammy, of course. Um, and it's it's, it's going to be quite interesting. I'm I'm hoping that I'll be able to get down and see if I'll be on tour, unfortunately, uh, during the host periods that um, it's going to be done. Well, fortunately, actually, in the way that you'll be uh, be able to be back on the road for, which is which is great. But yeah, I know the timing um, lines up that way. Uh, why was it important, you think, to have an exhibit like this in the city of Newark? I know you're, you obviously, you're, you have a, a great history here, but you know, why do you think it's it's great and important to have it here? Well, uh, you know, I found that uh, what's, what's been going on in Newark, um, and my dear friend Cory Booker, who when he was mayor there, um, and the other mayors who saw fit to start a renaissance that has truly occurred in uh, in Newark. Mm. Um, to be a part of that renaissance is, is wonderful, I feel. You know, I, I am truly flattered that I, I have been chosen to be a part of that renaissance. Yes, and uh, obviously, again, your, your, your history here in the, in the state and, and being from here, um, and again, mm -hmm. with, with our museum, as you mentioned, uh, when we opened our museum, you were one of the first uh, guests that we had. Um, so it's great to be involved with this. Obviously, we're, we're thrilled to be involved with it as well. And everybody should uh, check that out. Again, we'll have the link for you so that you'll be able to um, to get more information on that and RSVP and, and go see that exhibit. It's, it's going to be amazing. I, I mm -hmm. wanted to ask you a little bit about, I think it's so interesting that, you know, here you are and, and you're now having all these new fans and all these new supporters who are finding you that may or may, you know, may not, they may be young and didn't know um, before. They may have heard your name, but didn't know maybe your work or, or, or much about you. How, how do you think you've been able to stay so relevant? Because to me, it's your career is so interesting that you, you can almost see it like in different chapters and you see the 60s and you see the Hal David and the Burt Bacharach, but you get into the 70s and now it's Barry Gibb and Barry Manilow has a different feel to it. And the 80s, you're on TV, you're hosting Solid Gold, which of course I remember watching when I was a kid. Uh, and now, even now, having this and still performing, how do you think it's hard to sustain a career in music, in you know, in entertainment period, obviously, but what do you think for about you has been the thing that's allowed you to do that and to be able to change with the times and still still stay relevant? Have you thought, you know, ever put your finger on what that is? Yeah. Um, I, I basically feel that I, I'm staying current because, well, I've got seven grandchildren, and that in itself keeps me current. <laughs> you know, I am exposed to all kinds of music and uh, new sayings and things that are, that are going on within their world. Right. Um, I have two sons 
who are musically inclined as well and have been uh, you know, doing things with me regarding, um, you know, things that are current. Um, so it's it's been kind of easy. All the transitions have been easy. You know, knowing who I am speaking with is because I've been being told by one of my seven grandchildren, maybe, you know. Right. Or, Grammy, have you seen this or have you heard this? Do you know who this is? And listen to this song and that kind of thing goes on within my world, which I'm thrilled about because they're, they're very, very intent on keeping me up to date on what's happening. And you mentioned your 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 children, obviously. It's 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 a family affair for you. I mean, I know there's, um, you know, when you're performing or recording and even in your, in your world, as you mentioned, uh, in social media, did you ever some obviously some artists don't want their kids to go into this business you know they they think it's too hard but did you ever have that or you know thought about that or were you letting them do it or were you encouraging them like how did that how did that play out for you and your family well first of all that they're, they're born into a musical family so they had no choice in that matter right. however uh their choices as to what they want to do with their lives of course, they're encouraged to to pursue that to as far as they want to go with it. And I've been truly, truly blessed. Both of my my boys, my my sons, um, David, my eldest, uh, became a prolific songwriter, and he sings very well. He's on the road with me. He plays. He's my drummer, and he also does a couple of duets with me during the course of my show. Um, he wrote here and now with Terry Steele for Elizabeth Andros. So he has an innate ability to do, you know, what he is he wanted to pursue. My my, my youngest son, Damon, uh, had became my producer. He produced my last three CDs for me, as well as he's now in a managerial position. He manages my career. So I I certainly will continue to encourage them to to do what they they feel they're best suited to do. So, growing up singing with a family, what what did you learn? What do you think it taught you in the early days that, that prepared you for your career later on? Were there things that you that you learned from it, or things that maybe you didn't learn that you had to learn? Maybe I don't know the hard way later on. But but what do you think it taught you as a, as a young person? You know, coming up first of all within the church. My grandfather was a minister. Uh, so I was in church practically 24-7, seven days a week, um, singing gospel music, which was my beginning in any kind of thought of singing. And although I was exposed to all kinds of music because I listened to the radio like everybody else did, and I uh, was able to hear people like Frankie Lyman and teenagers as well as the monotones and, and all those wonderful groups. And, and, uh, so my growing years was, uh, was wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. My being exposed to all kinds of music, but gospel was what I was brought up on. And as a result of the gospel music, I learned, uh, the words that mean something, you know, truth um 
I think that kind of morphed into what I do now. Um, I don't sing songs with words that I would not want to hear said to me or, or that I would say. So I'm very, very conscious of lyrics. Uh, and of course, melodies are as, as important. However, my focus is on what I'm being able to give to your listening ear. I'm your messenger through music. And I want to be certain that I'm sending you the right message. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you say that because I, I was thinking that I was listening to a, a lot of your work, obviously, ahead of time. And, um, and I was listening to No Night So Long. And listening to you deliver that lyric, um, you can tell that you, you're you inside the lyric, is for maybe a lack of a better way to say it. But it reminded me often of, you know, um, Sinatra was like that, too, speaking of another um, New Jersey legend, that you know, when he mm -hmm. delivered a lyric, every it seemed like every word, he not only understood it, but he was delivering that word, especially to you. And you seem to have that too. So I was curious, you know, how did you, was, how did you develop that? You know, was that innate or was that something you had to learn or, you know, how did you get so good at, at delivering lyric that way? I, I feel that when a composer writes, um, I, I, I used to call them vignettes, uh, That's the way I felt about everything that Hal David wrote for me to see, say and sing. I'm telling a story, a story that he composed and felt had to be delivered in the manner in which he wrote it. Uh, those are his feelings that I am kind of portraying for him. So I've become basically an actress. Mm. But uh, through through the the words of a person who I've always regarded not as a, not as a lyricist, I've called Hal David a poet as long as I've known his writings and I've sung his songs. So you know, I'm delivering the poem the way that I felt. Well, this it's his feelings. This is how he wanted this portrayed. So I'm going to try to do my best to give it back. I think I'd mentioned this to you when we, we met a few years ago that um, I'd interviewed Philip Bailey in in, uh, in person at the museum one day, and, and I was asking him about how he developed his falsetto, and he said that he developed it by trying to imitate Sarah Vaughan and Dionne Warwick, that that was, you know, how he, that was his interpretation of it, and so how he developed it. And I'm curious for you, who were, other than, obviously there was, there was maybe family members and, and folks in the church, but... Were there, in the secular world, were there singers that you were trying to emulate, or, or how did you eventually come to get the, uh, you know, the style that defines you? Were there singers that inspired you to, to do that? Well, fortunately, I come from a family of singers, right. so I didn't have to look too far, you know. Right. Um, and I, it wasn't a case of me emulating anyone but myself. You know, I'm a Duke's mixture of everybody that sang in my family. Uh, this is something that's a gift that God gave me, and it's an individual gift. And I don't have to try to be somebody I'm not. Um, developing into who I am, I think, comes with growth and maturity as well. You know, um, understanding a little more about what I'm saying and, and how I'm saying it. And, and sometimes even an experience during the course of the songs that I'm singing. Um, I, I uh, you know, I had the fortunate pleasure of being mentored 
by the icons of our industry. And I, I sometimes I feel so embarrassed mentioning the names of those people who embraced me the way that they did. But it, it means an awful lot to me be able to stand on the shoulders of Lena Horn and, and Ella Fitzgerald and Sarah Vaughan. My mother went to school with Sarah Vaughan. Mm-hmm. So I knew her as Aunt Sass. Um, uh, people like Diane Carroll, Frank Sinatra, who I very affectionately always have referred to as Poppy. You know, I became his surrogate daughter. Sammy Davis Jr., the same thing. Dean Martin, these people just put their arms around me uh, in the very beginning of my career. Uh, and I am so ever grateful for that. You know, they, they taught me a lot without even knowing they were teaching me. When, I'm always curious to ask singers this, and, and great singers especially, when you record, people like, some people work differently. Some people um, want to be pushed, they want to be directed, and some people say, stay out of my way and I'll, I'll figure this out. For you, has it been a certain way for your whole career, or maybe it's changed, but mostly how have you... When you're in the studio, do you like being directed and, and pushed, or, or do you really kind of just, again, you know, stay out of the way, I'll get this done? No, when uh, when I'm recording, uh, I'm very cognizant of the composers. Uh, they wrote certain melodies that they want sung. They wrote certain words they want said. Uh, and that's paying homage to those writers. I don't presume or assume the fact that I have the, the right or the ability to change anything that was written and or given to me to sing. Um, I think that is the secret of, of presenting a great song to people. You know, these people spend their time writing these wonderful, wonderful songs that I've had the pleasure of recording, and I want to give them what they wrote. So, um, I don't think anybody has has that right to change anything of anybody's uh, hard work unless it is a permission given to them. Right. You've you've sung so many great songs. Obviously, you've been good at deciding to say, this is a song I think I would do well with. Have you, have you missed any? Are there, uh, do you recall any that <laughs> you, you passed on that you thought, oh, I should have recorded that? Yeah. You know, and uh, I eventually I, I ended up recording a couple of them. But one of them was What the World Needs Now is Love, Sweet Love. Um, I was presented the song and I turned it down. It was written more in the vein of somebody like um, Roy Rogers would have sung. It was a Mm. cowboy song. Mm. And I just didn't feel it was a Dionne Warwick song. As it turned out, Crack and David were commissioned to produce Jackie DeShannon. And um, that song came up. And it was it was like, and Bert kept saying, why didn't Dion want to record the song? Well, apparently, after I explained to him why, uh, and I was not available to record the song during the period of time I was on tour, Jackie DeShannon got the song, and they used what we considered the Dionne Warwick formula. And that was with my gospel group, the Gospel Layers, and uh, four white girls um, uh, to do the background. And it all of a sudden took on a Dionne Warwick genre. Hmm. And Jackie DeShannon recorded it. 
and God bless her for having a wonderful hit record with it. And eventually I, I decided, well, since you're going to use my formula, I might as well go ahead and record it. Of <laughs> <laughs> it worked out well for everyone. It's <laughs> yeah, it certainly did. <laughs> uh, I wanted to ask you only because, again, as a, as a, I was a teenager when We Are the World uh, came out. And I was listening to that mm-hmm. recently. And, of course, you're on that. And uh, the thing that really struck struck me was that and maybe I'm just, this may be like the old man yelling at kids to get off his porch. So forgive me if it sounds like this, but the, the voices then mm-hmm. are so distinct and so unique when you listen to it, even yeah. the people who weren't maybe great singers, quote unquote, they still are so distinct and so unique that you can pick them all out. You know who they all are. And I wonder if yeah. we've lost some of that now. I don't, I, it feels to me, and again, this may be the, again, the old man yelling, <laughs> get off the lawn. Um, that we don't have that as much as we did. The, it's more homogenous and you kind of, they kind of blend together. Um, but I, I, I was curious about that r- recording session just between us. You, I won't tell anybody, but did anybody yeah. act up on that? Was everybody well behaved or was there anything, yeah. Uh, yeah. any good stories that, that came that out was, of that? That was the most wonderful, eventful recording session I've ever been a part of. It was mm-hmm. wonderful. Um, first of all, seeing folks that I hadn't seen in 99 years, you know, we're all, all flying off in different directions doing what we do. And to walk into the studio with 50 some popular folk voices, uh, some dear, dear friends, some that I had never met and had an opportunity to meet. Um, and, you know, even the little sign, you know, at the front door, Levy goes at the door right. <laughs> kind of thing. Um, that was, that was basically Quincy being Quincy, being a jokester he is. Um, but there was no reason for us to be there for any other purpose than what we were there to do. And we all understood that. Um, and it was a joy to have been even asked to be a part of that project. So, um, it is just, um, we had a ball in that studio. It was nothing but fun. Yeah, it's it's funny because again, I as a teenager, I don't know if I appreciate it as much as I do now. It's like kind of looking back on it, I'm like, oh, this you know these things. It's very unique. It's very special. And again, just to to hear the performances, um, mm-hmm. it's tremendous. Uh, speaking of that, was obviously some early activism as far as music goes. But you've been um, very involved in all kinds of causes and advocacy. I was curious about your your advocacy for artist rights. I know there's some some things that have been, mm. have been going on recently. Um, how do you feel? I mean, what are the things that you're passionate about now as far as artist rights? And, and I know the Recording Academy obviously is involved in a lot of that as well. But what are some of the things that you're really looking at these days? First of all, becoming aware of how much funds, basically, not only I, but so many artists have just been built out of because of radio. Uh, not paying attention to the fact that they are using my hard work to garner advertisers to keep that radio station going and putting billions of dollars into their own pockets without recognizing that would not happen if it went for my voice and and recognition of those advertisers saying, oh, look how much time that they're giving to recordings that keep people listening Maybe I can advertise my product and we'll 
make some money on my product. Right. You know, and I mean, it all it all makes sense. You know, and uh, I think it's time that they now, you know, make rep, rep, you know, rep, uh, reparation right. to those artists, inclusive of myself. In fact, uh, I've testified several times on this very same issue. Uh, I even went so far as to ask, can we go back to 1962 when I first recorded? <laughs> you know, can we make me good now? <laughs> Retroactive, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, that can't happen. But, we, but you know, I'm thinking also not only of myself, but I'm thinking of people who unfortunately have made their transitions, but their families are still alive. Right. And those funds could be very, very much appreciated by those people. You know, especially during these periods of time. Um, so why not? I, I I think it's only fair. I, I think you're right. I think um, most people don't realize. It's funny when we do our programs when we're teaching music business to high school kids, we'll explain to them that oh yeah, the artist doesn't get paid when you hear the song on the radio, and they're like they can't they don't understand what I'm saying to them. Like no, they really mm-hmm. not in this country. Um, uh, you know, the writers and the publishers do, but not unless the recording artist was a writer or a publisher, um, they don't get paid for it. And they're always surprised, but I think a lot of people would be surprised by that. Um, so that's, it's a good that you're bringing yes, attention to it. They were, I mean, these, these are uh, people, whenever I told them that, you know, because they were asking, well, what are you, why are you doing it? Don't you get my, right. don't you get paid when you're record? I said, I wish I did. You know, right. <laughs> I, wish, I wish that were true, but I must say, you know, we do not, I don't get paid. The background singers don't get paid. The musicians don't get paid. And they were, they're astonished. They're saying, really, we didn't know that. I said, well, now right. you do. Yeah. You know, so uh, that has to be made perfectly clear, not only to the layman, as as we have to call them at this point in time. Sure. But we have to that, that issue within uh, Congress and, and those people that make, make those decisions for us. Um aware that this has got to happen yeah well if now in addition to the exhibit which is, again i remind everybody uh is october 6th through the 29th newark arts is uh, sponsoring an, an us course along with audible the grammy museum experience um and then information will be in the description so you can you can check that out um you mentioned the chance the rapper uh duet i guess you you connected because of twitter and, yeah. and you've done a song together um do do you do you have a sense of when that's coming out or should when we should be looking for it? Yes, as a matter of fact, uh, it should be if if not by the Christmas season, which I, I okay. doubt will be. It'll be as I'm sure by the first of the year. Okay, well, we'll keep, that's can't wait to hear that. And also, as you mentioned, you're out in the world live and touring, so people should. Uh, I'm sure we can uh, find that online. But some of the dates are you. Are you excited about it or to get back out there again? How do you how do you feel about, about being on the road again? Yeah, I, I'm I'm very excited about it. You know, I I get all kinds of emails and phone calls and when are you coming back out? I want to see you. You know, you know that kind of thing, which is wonderful to to hear that they miss me because I miss them. I really do. I miss doing what I feel I do best, and uh, getting back on the road uh, may not be the most exciting thing you know just getting up at the crack of dawn running through an airport right but you know that hour and a half 
aspect on, on stage is is something that I feel and I do miss very very much. So I'm I'm really looking forward to it. What's what's been your of, of all the things you've you know you have to do? I say have to do. You know, you're in the studio, you're in performing live television. Is there one part of it that's always been your favorite? The thing that's kind of you know driven you throughout the years um, to continue doing it. Is there one piece that if you if you only could do the one part, that's the part you would do? I think the in person performances. Yeah. Uh, this that's immediate reaction. Uh, it's always wonderful looking in the faces that are smiling back at you, or you see that arm go around the shoulder, or, or somebody singing with me. You know, that, that's a very pleasurable thing. Yeah, and well, we, we've missed seeing you out there. Obviously, looking forward to it. And everybody, uh, you know, look on the schedule, find out when Miss Warwick will be near you, and go see her. And I wanted to give you an update. Um, when we met a few years ago, um, we had started our first um, summer program for high school kids uh, teaching audio production and songwriting and, and vocal performance and hip-hop lyric writing. And our first one we did was a few years ago. We donated uh, scholarships, five scholarships in Dion Warwick's name to Newark area students. And um, for an update for you, I wanted you to know that three of those kids have gone on now, are in college, and are studying music and our oh. music business um and one of them or two of them are still in high school um and one has taken every single program we've done over the last few years in the spring fall summer she's done every one and she's going to pursue uh, music as well so just so wanted you to know that you are a part of that you're part of their journey uh we thank you for that you're part of our journey as well as i said you were here when we opened the museum so just thank you again for continuing to be such a bright spot and a great representative of New Jersey and, and New Jersey music. We appreciate you very much. That's very exciting. Thank you so much for letting me know that. Oh, wow. I'm glad I got made a chance. my heart oh, patter, 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 patter. <laughs> <laughs> That's great news. Thank you very much. Thank you, Miss Warwick. And uh, again, congratulations on everything that's happening and, and the shows. We'll look forward to seeing you. Everybody go check out the art exhibit. The Newark Arts is proudly uh, presenting at the Haynes Building in October. We'll see you there, and hopefully we'll see you at the museum soon. By the time you see this, the museum doors should be open, so come see us. And hope we get to do this in person one day, Miss Warwick. But thank you again for your time this morning. Really appreciate it. My pleasure, darling. You take good care, okay? She's still amazing. It's always a joy to speak with Miss Dion Warwick. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode, very special episode of Musically Speaking catch us next time. And until then, as always, I'm your host, Mark Conklin, encouraging you to make music and make a difference. And we will see you next time.